You're listening to a message from CT College, the college ministry of Cross Timbers Church located in Denton, Texas. If you would like to learn more about us, visit crosstimberschurch.org slash college or follow us on Instagram at CT underscore college. Goodness. Uh, I mean, I love it when we sing that song. I think it's really interesting um, that we, you know, at the end of all of our prayers, we say amen. Um, does anyone actually know what amen means? Like, why do we say that at the end of our prayers? Um, and just, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Um, it means basically, let it be so. Um, that we sing these promises of God and we're saying to God, hey, let it be so. Um, and, and I'm so excited to get to introduce um, our speaker tonight. It's a, it's a dear friend of mine and he really has proven to be a, a yes and an amen for um, some prayers and some promises that um, God's made to me through scripture. I, I've told this story before, but I got to tell it again. Um, is, uh, so Andre Rose, um, he is the student pastor at the Village Church. We love the Village. We love what they're doing in our city. Um, we are on the same team as the Village um, we, we love them, and so Andre works there, um, but I moved to Denton um, from Atlanta, Georgia. I went to the University of Georgia to attend, yeah, let's go dogs, um, number three in the country, holla. Um, so, uh, yikes. Uh, so I, and I moved out here to go to Dallas Theological Seminary as well to work at Cross Timbers, um, and I, I like didn't really know many people, wasn't very connected, um, and I'm sitting in the back of, or I'm sitting in my classroom um, at DTS, and this guy comes in the back, and our, my professor, Dr. Barry Jones, goes, Andre, what's up? And, and I, like, turn in the back, and it's like, and it's Andre. And, and, and I had been told, like, months previous that there was, yeah, Cole, there's this guy who went to the University of Georgia, who went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's working for some church in Texas. You should meet him. And then one day, Andre literally just pops into the back of my classroom, and I find out that we went to the exact same undergrad school, we went to the exact same seminary, and we're working in the exact same city. And it was just like an answered prayer of like someone who like would understand a little bit of my world and understand a little bit of my brain and was able to walk with me through some really challenging times in my life. And so there is no one um, that I truthfully like trust more um, with bringing the scriptures to you guys um, and who just has like a genuine heart. Him and his wife, Kim, are terrific. Um, and so if you guys would, would we um, just give a Cross Timbers College welcome to my buddy, Andre Rose. I don't know. Okay, great. Sweet. Uh, man, Cole, you always give like the best introductions and I'm always like, I love this place and I love you. Totally. It was uh, so random um, because uh, we both share a love for this professor at, at DTS. And anyway, uh, yeah, I just decided to show up to seminary. I had graduated and didn't need to be down there anymore, but I was like, hey, you know what, I'll go down to Dallas. So I'm sitting in the back of the room and yeah, just listening to this uh, professor share some really great nuggets about God's word. And then this um, really energetic character by the name of Cole comes up to me and goes, you're Andre. And it's one of those moments where uh, you kind of are going, do I know you? And if I do, I have forgotten that I know you. And someone's like playing along, yeah, what's up? Uh, tell me a little about yourself. And he's like, well, my name is Cole. And I'm like, Cole, yeah, Cole's not ringing a bell. Okay. All right. And then shortly thereafter, we started to make some connections. Then I realized he's a fellow Georgia Bulldog. And any fellow Georgia Bulldog is a friend of mine. And so, uh, and then he's like, yeah, I serve at Cross Timbers in Denton. And I was like, no way. I live in Denton, serving at the village. And so, yeah, that's right. I am uh, newly minted, actually, the student pastor over at the village. And so it's been really, really cool. Uh, 
to think about uh, just all the opportunities that uh, the Lord has just put before me. And I think tonight even uh, what the Lord might put before you as it relates to the opportunities that you might have uh, to steward your time here in this city for the good uh, of the gospel and the glory of the Lord. And so I would love to pray for us and then I'll kind of dive into what I have for us tonight. Uh, I will say thank you for the ginormous big green clock back there because I tend to just get into it and lose all track of time. So that's going to be super helpful. Well, Father, thank you so much for this night that you've given us, for the opportunity to just spend some time in your word, uh, unpacking what you might have for us tonight. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that you would just begin to speak to these college students, that you would begin uh, to do a work in their hearts and in their lives as they uh, sit underneath the teaching of your word. And so, uh, all that we do tonight and all that we say, we make much of you, and it is our aim to do just that. And so would you be present among us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, uh, so one, he mentioned Kim. Uh, that's probably like the first thing I'll ever say because she's literally like the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I have a picture of Kim and I. Uh, that is my beautiful, beautiful wife um, of two years. Praise the Lord. Uh, wherever I go, people are always saying, Brother, how did you do it? And I said, you know, I don't know. I feel like like the Holy Spirit just like blinded her to the fact that I'm this ginormous nerd and I'm so like so annoying. And she was like, yeah, I love you. Let's get married. And it's like biggest con that I've ever pulled off in my entire life. And so I'm super excited about that. Uh, many, many more years down the road for that, for her to unpack just how uh, crazy and annoying I am. Side note, I'll, I'll just say this about her, which is why I love her so much. On our third date, uh, we were over at uh, West Oak. You ever been there? West Oak Coffee Shop. Come on, coffee in the house. And uh, we were sitting down, and she said, Andre, I kind of have to have a hard conversation with you. And I said, oh, okay. Third date, hard conversation. Here we go. And she sat me down, and she said, you're kind of annoying. <laughs> and I said, really? <laughs> I did not know how to take that. Uh, but anyway, uh, we got past that, and we're together, and I get to annoy her for the rest of my life or until death do us part. So praise the Lord. Um, Anyway, uh, enough about her. I am uh, at a sort of a, a, a tipping point in my life, I think, in so many ways. Uh, for many of you, you guys are in college and you're thinking about like the future being bright for you. And I'm actually staring down the barrel of like a, a momentous crossing over moment in my life. So at the end of next month, well, next month is literally tomorrow. Uh, at the end of the month, I will turn 30. Yes, and so um, no longer will I be in my 20s. It's kind of hitting me as I enter this month. I'm going, like, 29 sounded cool. 30 sounds like I should have a mortgage and five kids somewhere. So be praying for me as I enter into that. Um, but but I share that because I think for many of us in the room tonight, you may be at a crossing moment in your life. Like, you're all here in college for a reason, if not the fact that you being in college gives you a better opportunity uh, for a job, right? If you walk into an interview with an employer and they say, hey, tell me a little about yourself, and you go, yeah, I graduated from so-and-so high school and I went to college, and another guy comes in or a person comes in and says, hey, I graduated from high school, but yeah, I'm not about that college life. Like the, the opportunity you have to get the job is infinitely bigger than the person that didn't. Now, if you don't finish college, it's okay. Like people make it all the time and they don't go to college, but hey, Stay in college, all right? And then if you hear nothing else from me, it's like, oh, Andre was teaching, and he told me I could leave college. You did not hear that from me. That is a lie from Satan, and I will not receive that, okay? Um, but what I know is that you're all at a crossing point, and, and more particularly, this crossing point about how you're going to steward your life. Like, as you're thinking about these moments that you're gathered with friends, and you're meeting new people, and you're experiencing things maybe for the first time, 
you're beginning to think, how am I going to use this in my life? And for me, it took me five years in college. I went for a victory lap. It was really awesome. We have a great football team, and so why not? Why not stick around? And the reason why uh, was because right at the end of my time, I decided to change my major. Anybody about to change their major on the cusp of like a life-altering? Yeah, I was listening to you say you're going to change your major, and I was like, girl, you have no idea. I did that exact same thing. I came home after my fourth year in college. I said, mom, Dad, I don't want to be a physical therapist anymore. And they're like, really? What do you want to be? I was like, I want to be a pastor. What? Why are we spending thousands of dollars for you to go to the school? Because you love me. Um, and yet, uh, for you in this room, as you're thinking about stewarding your life, one of the things that I, I want you to think about is just the significance of this stage in your life. Like for the very first time, you're beginning to make and think about what you believe and what you know to be true on your own. And if I can sort of put something before you, what I would hope that you would know tonight is that there is someone, there's this person who is alive and well who wants you to come and see. There's this person, uh, this person, namely Jesus, who is alive and well, as, as Cole uh, shared the gospel even in between the worship set uh, tonight, that he, he, he cast a vision for this person who came and he lived and he died on the cross and then he rose again. And I believe that he is still alive and, and he wants you to come and see some things about him and to begin to know some things about him that are really important. And what do I mean about coming and seeing? Well, we're going to look at a couple stories in the Bible, two stories, uh, really quickly, that, that encapsulate this idea of coming and, and seeing uh, what Jesus is all about. And you're going to find in these stories that, that this person, Jesus, um, Jesus knows you, and Jesus sees you, and Jesus is actually calling you to something deeper, right? And so uh, before I dive into that, I kind of want to tell a story to sort of set up uh, where I'm going tonight. And so it's sort of a, a funny-ish story maybe. Uh, and if it's not, just humor me by laughing at all of the jokes as I, as I tell sort of in this story. Uh, but, but has anybody ever been invited to something like that, that you had no idea what to expect when you got invited? Anybody ever, like someone said, hey, come to, maybe you were like, come to CT Nights. And you're like, what is CT Nights? Like, what does that mean? You know, and you show up and it's like, oh. This is cool. Well, well, back when I was in college, there was this um, friend of mine who said, hey, Andre, I think it'd be really cool for you and I to begin to think through how we might become healthy. Because here's what I also know about college uh, is that in the first year of college, you put on what's called the freshman 15 because no one's telling you you can't have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And no one's telling you that you can't eat McDonald's every day of your life. And Taco Bell, listen, is the best thing, but it's not the best thing to have every day. Like, no one's telling you that. And, and after my freshman year, I went home and my dad was like, hey, son, you're kind of packing it on there. What do you think? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely not. And so I got back to college and my friend was like, hey, we're, we're, we're going to get healthy. And I said, okay. I said, well, what do you think? And he said, man, there's this new thing that's sort of taken off. It's called yoga. Now, Yoga's been around for a really long time. Like, like, it's not new, and it wasn't new when my friend was asking me, but I just, I've never heard of, of yoga at the time. I just didn't know that that was a thing. I was like, what is yoga? Like, what, what is it? And he said, well, come on, check it out. It's going to be awesome. And so uh, he invited me to yoga. And so uh, I, I showed up to this room where there was all these people, and they were all like walking in there like, namaste. And I was like, nama, what? And they're like, and they had their mats, and, and, and they were getting settled into the room or whatever. And then people start taking their shoes off, and I was like, oh, okay. 
we're taking our shoes off. We're getting real comfortable in this space. I'm really excited about that. We'll see what's going to happen. And so I was like, uh, all right, uh, I'll take my shoes off. and I'm going to leave my socks on, like a half thing, because don't want people to see my feet. I'm really weird about that. And so, uh, so I, I get settled in, and the teacher comes in, and this is really, like, like, I guess, flexible person who's like, well, welcome, class. It is yoga. And, and here's, here's the deal about yoga. It, it, like, you kind of have to go into an entry-level yoga class before you even advance to some of the more advanced yoga classes. And I thought that that's what this was. False. Uh, this was advanced yoga, and not just advanced yoga, but advanced hot yoga, because the lady proceeded to go back to the thermometer and push the button to like 98 degrees, and I'm going, what is this place? Like, what is absolutely happening right now? And so we start doing these poses, and she's like, okay, let's go ahead and go to downward dog, and I was like, downward what? And everyone's like, all right, here we go, and I'm like, my body just doesn't do that. And then at one point, she's like, warrior one, and it's like this thing where you can like push out or whatever. And there's this like, I forget the pose, but it's like where you take your foot and you stick it on the inside of your thigh. And it's, I can't do that right now, and I couldn't do it then, and I still can't. I'm going like, what? Like, what is happening? And the teacher just came over to me and she said, hey, why don't you just get in child's pose? And I was like, I'm not getting in child's pose. What is that? She's like, it's where you just lay on the ground and you just kind of go and just chill. And I said, no, I got this. And so I kind of got my leg up there, and I almost fell. And when that happened, I realized, nope. I'm done. Child's pose is where I'm at, and this is where I'm going to be for the rest of the class. And I literally, for like the next 40 minutes, I was like, namaste. <laughs> namaste right here on this mat. <laughs> That's one of my favorite jokes in the whole wide world. But, uh, and here's what I knew about that moment. I, I came and I saw something that I did not like, and I said, man, if this is what getting healthy looks like, I want nothing to do with it at all. And yet, Jesus, as I connect the story, wants us to come and see, and come and see someone who is actually awesome, and that he has so many things that he wants to share with you. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in two places. Everyone say two. We're going to be in Luke and in John, uh, and so we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up there to Luke chapter 19. It is in the New Testament, if you don't know where that is. You just flip over to the middle. You might find yourself in like Psalms or Isaiah or whatever, and just keep flipping pages to the left, and you'll get to the New Testament. And Luke is one of the four Gospels uh, that were written in the Gospel. Uh, these four Gospels tell basically the same story about who Jesus is. And we're going to come up upon the story of this guy named Zacchaeus. And, and so um, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to sort of tell you what I want you to, to kind of get from it. And so here we go. In, in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they had saw it, that's the Pharisees and all the other Jewish leaders at the time, they all grumbled and said, he is gone, Jesus, into the, be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so, if you're looking at this text, the thing I want you to know is that Jesus sees you where you are, it's that Jesus 
sees you where you are. Zacchaeus was a, a Jewish tax collector. What does that mean? Well, that means that he was one of the most hated people in the time of day that he lived in. Why? Because he was like, like a person who was Jewish in heritage, but he was cheating the system by working for the Romans, which were the enemy. And essentially what he would do is when the Romans would say, hey, we want to levy taxes against the Jewish people because we can, Zacchaeus would go, great, well, I'm going to charge twice as much, and I'm going to pocket what uh, I charge and keep it to myself. And so all the Jewish people were like, hey, man, what's the deal? Like, what are you doing? Come on, bro. Like, take it easy on us. And he was making a killing doing this. And the Jewish people hated him. But when Jesus was coming to town, he had heard about it. And he wanted to see who this Jesus was. But the text says he was short. Like, he was, he was real short, so short that he had to climb up into a tree to see Jesus would you imagine just for a second this crowd of people surrounding Jesus as he's moving down the way, as he's walking down the street, and then this guy is literally climbing up the street because he wants to see Jesus. And out of the whole crowd, out of everybody that had gathered to see this man, this man named Jesus, Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree and says, hey, you come down from the tree because I have to come to your house today. And Zacchaeus says, well, of course. And he climbs down the tree. And what happens next is Jesus enters Zacchaeus' life to the degree that it changes his whole world. It changes his trajectory. So much so that everything he had, he gave half of it to the poor. And then he goes, if I've defrauded anybody, and just get the picture of this. He's been working as a tax collector for years. He says, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to restore it back. The encounter that he had with Jesus was life transforming. And my hope tonight as we begin to even unpack this next story is that you would know that first and foremost, Jesus, Jesus, as he's alive and well seated at the right hand of the Father, he sees you. He sees you. And he wants to meet with you such that he might change your trajectory forever if you'll allow him. And so this next story that we're going to unpack uh, reveals a second thing about what Jesus sees and what he knows. And so if you have your Bibles, flip over to John. Uh, John chapter 4, you'll just flip over a few pages and you'll find yourself there. And John tells a unique story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, actually, because it just says so much uh, about who this man named Jesus is. And so what I'm going to do is sort of uh, read the story, I'll pause and unpack a couple of things, and then read some more and pause and unpack a couple of things. But uh, before you get to the text, which is already up there, you can flip to the point, and it just says this. It just says that Jesus knows your brokenness. So one, Jesus sees you where you are, and you're going to see in the story, too, that Jesus knows you and your brokenness because there's not a person in this room that has not experienced brokenness in their lives. There's not a person in this room that, is, that has not experienced pain in their lives. And, and, and what I want you to know is that as Jesus sees you, Jesus also knows you and your brokenness. And, and in spite of all that, he decides to enter in. So let's dive into the story. It says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. 
And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which is around noon, noonish in, in, in the day. And, and so what you need to know here is Jesus, as he's in this town, he says, hey, uh, I've got to go do ministry somewhere else. And so I'm going to go uh, from where I am, and I'm headed uh, towards uh, Galilee to go do ministry. And as he's headed towards Galilee, you, you have to pass through this town called Samaria. Now, uh, in the same way that, that Jews did not like the Jewish tax collectors, Jews did not like even more Samaritans. And so when they were, they were going from Judea to Galilee, they would actually, instead of going through Samaria, they would go around the city because they didn't want to interact with Samaritans. It's how much they hated them. It's like if you're on your way uh, to Austin and you kind of have to go through Dallas, you are like, I hate the people in Dallas. So I'm just going to go all the way around, like through Mesquite and like through Tyler, Texas, and then like all the way around down to Austin. It's kind of silly and absurd. But the people at that time did that. And Jesus is going, no, I've got to get to Galilee, so I'm going to go straight through Samaria because he knows that there's someone there who's experiencing this incredible brokenness, and he wants to enter into it. And so let's keep reading. And what do we know? Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So I'll pause. Jesus, on his way to Galilee, stops in Samaria and he meets a Samaritan woman who is drawing water from a well. And he sits down, tired from his journey, and he says, Hey, give me a drink of water. And she's like, um, What? Uh, Do you know who I am? And she's like, Yes, I know who you are. Uh, I'm a Samaritan. Yeah, okay, great. You're Jew. Great. I'm a woman. Okay. Uh, why are you asking me for water? Like, you should not be talking to me at all. Like, you should have seen me in a moment's notice, moved to the other side of the street, or, or walked to another place, waited till I finished, and then came back and got your own water. And Jesus knows in this moment he's about to engage this woman in her brokenness by telling her what he says next. And Jesus said to her, well, in verse 12, he's, she asks Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, he gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. You see, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, well, give me this water so that I don't have to be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And this is where Jesus gets real. Jesus looks at her and he says, hey, go and call your husband. Okay, I'll pause. <laughs> They're having this exchange. Jesus is telling her all about this living water that if she were to ask of him for the living water, she would never have to come to the well and draw water again. And Jesus answering the question doesn't answer the question. He, he skips the question. He goes, hey, great, go call your husband. Because here's what you need to know about this particular scenario. She says, woman, had come to the well at the sixth hour at noon in the Middle East to draw water. No one did that. 
Why did no one do that? Because imagine Texas times 10,000 degrees in heat, and that's how hot it was that people would not draw water in the middle of the day. They would go in the morning or they would go in the evening. But why would she not go in the morning or the evening? Why? Because there were other people there. And these other people knew who she was. And so Jesus, on his way to Galilee, knows that as he's going through Samaria, he's about to encounter this woman who is at the well at the wrong time because she knows when I'm here, no one is going to see me and no one's going to talk to me. And yet Jesus recognizes her brokenness and saying, hey, go call your husband. And she responds, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. And saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one that you're with right now is not your husband. So what you've said is true. And in that moment, I probably would have been like, <laughs> all right, get your own dang water, Jesus. I'm about to go home. What the, what, what, like, like, what is this? And, and, and what is Jesus doing? Well, he is tapping into her brokenness because here's the deal. Jesus knows you, and Jesus knows you in your brokenness. You see, she didn't have a husband. She had five husbands. And, and, and when we understand the, the reality of this, in that particular day and time, uh, women did not have power in a sense like everything was run through men and so it was quite possible and quite likely that she did have a husband and when that husband got tired of being with her he divorced her and she was left on her own and she found another husband and the same thing happened over and over and over again till she finally just attached herself to someone who would just provide whatever she could have and her reputation in and around the community was tarnished not because she could do anything about it but because of what had been done to her and Jesus knew that as he would encounter her in her brokenness he would begin to bring life living water into her life and change her trajectory forever and I love this story because in so many ways we think about the Bible and we're like, oh, the Bible is just this old book that has no significance whatsoever on our current day and time. And is this story not so ripe and so important in our culture right now today where we think about who holds the power and what that means as it relates to us in our culture? And so as Jesus is engaging this woman, he's saying, I, I know you. I know your brokenness, and I know what you've been through, and I know what has been done to you, and I am here engaging you because I want you to know that I know you. And if Jesus were here in this space, I believe he would look at you, and he would say, son, daughter, I know you. Son, daughter, I know you and your brokenness. Will you come and know me? Let's just keep reading. The woman said to him, she didn't say, I'm going to leave. She says, no, well, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. That's a wise thing to say, and I'm going to skip down. And Jesus begins to teach her about worship. And he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. See, for you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and it is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then the disciples come back, and they begin to sort of talk to Jesus, and they see him, like, talking to this woman, and they're like, uh, this is weird because she's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a Jew, and we don't know what's happening. And you'll read the text if you have your Bibles that they were like, well, we ain't going to say anything to Jesus because obviously he knows what he's doing, so we're just going to sit back here and watch, which is really hilarious that they're like, uh, we don't know what to do. And so uh, as the disciples are, are urging him uh, to, to sort of come and eat, the woman in verse 28 leaves her water jar, and she goes back into the town and she says to her people, the Samaritans, she says, hey, come, come and see a man who has told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
and I'll pause for a second, because as she, as she experienced Jesus entering into her brokenness, a reality popped off in her mind. There's something special about this guy. There's something unique about this guy. So much so that I've got to leave what I came here to do. I'm going to, go and tell, I'm going to go and tell the people that I was trying to get away from that there's this guy at this well that's telling me everything that I've ever known. And if you have your Bibles open, this is where it gets so profound. It gets so profound. Because the woman comes back, and in verse 39, the text says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, saying, he told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. The, the crazy thing about the story, because it happened so early in the Gospels, this woman was the first legitimate missionary to her people. Like in her brokenness, she shows up at a well, she's by herself, she's drawing water in her shame, she meets Jesus, Jesus tells her everything she ever did. She goes, I've got to leave this, I've got to go back to where my people are. She goes back and brings them, and then guess what? Because of her testimony, because she recognizes who Jesus is, many people believe in Jesus because of her. And isn't that crazy to think that God and his son Jesus would enter into her brokenness, that God, their son Jesus, would enter into your brokenness and transform your life so that you might be someone who would testify to the work and the goodness of God in your life. It says many more believed because of the woman's testimony. Jesus stayed there two days, and people were coming up to him and putting their faith in Jesus. You are here in Denton, at UNT or TWU or NCTC, wherever you go to school, you, you are here, a part of CT9 to cross timbers, not by accident, not by just circumstance that someone invited you, but, but because Jesus is trying to say to you, son, daughter, I see you. Son, daughter, I, I know you in your brokenness, and I want to enter in. And this is my, my final point. This is what I really want us to think about uh, as we leave this place tonight, and as we consider the days and the weeks to come, is that you, students, would purpose your life to make much of Jesus. That as Jesus sees you where you are, that as Jesus knows you in your brokenness, would you purpose in your life to make much of who Jesus is? See, I, I, I'm well aware of all the things that college brings. Friends and relationships and opportunities for all kinds of things and all kinds of spaces for us to get involved in and connect with and, and people to know and, and clubs to join and, and activities to do. And, and some of these activities are really, really great things to do. And some of these activities are really, really detrimental and damaging to our lives. I, I recognize that and I know that full well. And what I'm asking you tonight, what I'm asking you to actually really think about is that you would purpose in your life to make much of Jesus, like Zacchaeus did, like the woman at the well did. Because you would know at the foundation of your life that Jesus sees you, that Jesus knows you in your brokenness. And despite all that, Jesus calls you. That Jesus calls you to purpose your life to make much of him. And so what might that mean? Well, for some of us, it might mean that Certain relationships that we've developed even now need to change. For some of us, that might mean we need to change our major. 
For some of us, it might mean we need to actually engage the Lord in the midst of our brokenness and allow him to heal us as only he knows how. For some of us, it, needs, it means that we need to just actually recognize and sit underneath the weight that God, through his son Jesus, the sovereign creator of the universe, sees you where you are right now. And he says, in spite of you and in spite of your brokenness, I want to use you. And so would you let him? Would you let him? Would you, after tonight, go, yes, Jesus, you see me. Like, you really see me. And yes, Jesus, you, you know my brokenness. And yes, I want to let you use me to bring my roommate to the Lord, to bring my bandmate to the Lord, to bring my professor to the Lord to bring my study friend to the Lord, to bring my family to the Lord, to bring my brother to the Lord, to bring my sister to the Lord, to bring my, my boyfriend to the Lord, or my girlfriend to the Lord. Or, 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 but I would purpose in my life to make much of the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean you need to become a pastor or go into ministry or, or travel the world or go on a mission. And it, and it might mean that you might need to do that. But, but, but these stories reveal just an amazing truth about God that is jacked up and as messed up as we are that he sees us and that he knows us and he's calling us to purpose in our lives to make much of him in every space in everything that we do and even when we get it wrong because we do and we will that Jesus is right there saying I see you I know you, and I still want to use you. Would you let me, would you purpose in your life to make much of Jesus in everything that you do? And you'll find that this particular season of your life is the springboard for the, for the next season that will be so amazing. Even in all the craziness that will come down the pipe for you, it will still be so amazing. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. And Jesus is telling you, will you let me? Will you let me use you so that you might purpose in your life to make much of me? Let me pray. Father, thank you for just a sobering reminder that you see us. see us when we think that no one else does. And not only that you see us, but that you know us better than anyone else does. And in spite of all that, you say you want to use me. Lord, we are humbled by that. And Jesus, we thank you for that. So Father, I pray for these students tonight. Father, I pray that they would sit underneath this and not be crushed by the weight of it, but would be led to joy in knowing that as you are seated, alive and well, and coming one day, that though you wait, you're waiting because you see these people, you see these students, and you're, you see the opportunity that's before them to make much of their lives so they may make much of you. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless us. God, I pray that you would keep us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And we say amen.